thanks to our sponsor, Geomond. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomond and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner, part of the Technology Adoption Program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 419, where AC and I are going to talk about a new dawn for SharePoint and Windows, recorded live July the 21st, 2021. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. And now, back to the show. Good morning, AC. Morning. How are you this morning? Jealous. Why? People are going to space, man. Oh, oh yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, uh. Uh, uh, yeah. Lots of jokes about the shape of the rocket I see happening on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. But Not a but. <laughs> it's definitely not a but. <laughs> there are, however, a lot of comparisons between Jeff Bezos and Dr. Evil, not only for the way he looks, but also the shape of his spaceship from the movie, which I think is you know, pretty comical, but hey, they got into space. They followed a very similar flight path as Alan Shepard, who was the first American into space, and uh, came back successfully, which is a resounding uh, success, I guess. Yeah, it was really cool to see what both not only Jeff Bezos did, also what Sir Richard Branson did and the Virgin Galactic. I mean, it's just, it's cool to see both of these like space tourism things to see them work, to see them have the ability for people to do it. It's the, the comparisons to like what SpaceX is doing. I've seen a few people like, well, SpaceX isn't doing this stuff. I mean, clearly these guys are the leader. I'm like, SpaceX is making money off this stuff right now. They're like on the, they're on the yeah. business side. <laughs> they're doing just fine. Yeah. And they plan to take people up. Yeah. So later this year, right? So it's, uh, I think when that happens, that will be the new bar, right? Orbit will be the new bar for becoming an astronaut. I thought that the coolest part I thought about the Blue yeah, Blue Origin. Is that right? Yeah, Blue Origin. Yep. Um, Jeff Bezos rocket. And that whole mission yesterday. So this it happened yesterday as you and I are recording on July the 20th was seeing Wally's face when she came out and just had her arms out like that was so cool. I can't wait to go back. Yep. It, that was just 82 years old. I put such a smile on my face seeing her finally getting to go into space. She was dynamite in the press conference too. Right? She's just, I hope I'm just like her when I'm 82. Same. Full of energy, excitement, enthusiasm, just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She looks fantastic. She's tons of energy. Just There's just so much life in her. You can't, you hearing her before the rocket went off and the interviews and the days prior to it, 
watching when she came out of the capsule, watching her in the in the press conference afterwards. I, that lady, you just look at, it, you just can't not have a smile on your face. Like there's so yeah. much life in that in that person. Yeah. yeah, I'm stoked for her. That's amazing. Absolutely. And uh, so oldest, the oldest astronaut, and also the youngest was on board as well, a Dutch chap, mm-hmm. which is also pretty cool. Like I think, you know, it's interesting to have that oldest and youngest category but of course those those records will fall as this becomes more normalized so mm-hmm. you know in some respects i hope they're not the oldest and the youngest that go to space for a while so yeah and i think i saw too that what like uh, spacex the the big the super heavy booster they did a static fire of it the other day so yep. they're getting they're getting close yep. now that one's not supposed to fly but apparently like they're doing just ground testing with it but they're getting closer to doing their big test and then i also saw this past week there was a really big milestone for the James Webb telescope where they pulled the lens. What's it's not a telescope in the sense that like a visual telescope it's a radio telescope. So they, Mm -hmm. they pulled the, what's an equivalent of like the lens cap off of the telescope so they can finish packing it up. And that's a big milestone. That one is, I think of like, of like all the launches that I've seen, this one now is like one of the ones that is easily like one of my top three of just like, I cannot wait to see this thing go up. I'll be so on pens and needles for those of you who don't know what this what the James Webb is, I mean, if you, you've probably seen a picture of it if you've paid attention to anything with space. But it looks it's got a, a giant like gold mirrored like dish, I guess you could call it. Mm, yeah, folds out, right? It all folds out. Yeah, it looks like a honeycomb. And the thing that's special about this is that they're gonna because it's a radio telescope, they want to get it as far away from Earth as they can to be able to get. To, to have as little interference from radio signals from Earth. And so it's going to something called a Lagrange point, which is a point in space. There's a, there's a bunch of them. I think this one's called L2 is where it's going, but they're putting mm. it It's at a place in space where it'll maintain uh, proximity to Earth, but it will be far enough away to where it'll, it will be like stuck in place because it'll be between the perfect spot between different planets and the moon and like Mars and, and Earth to where the gravitational forces from all these different bodies will effectively keep it stationary, but it'll continue to like be in, in the same proximity as Earth as Earth rotates the sun. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, just the, the stats and not like, going, yeah, we're going to send it way, way out there and we're going to park it and then we're going to start listening and send stuff back. And it's, yeah, that's cool. It's going to be awesome. I'm like Hubble. If that one, that thing's miscalibrated, we can't go up there and fix it. <laughs> yep, exactly. That one is, uh, yeah, and there's been lots going on with that, but I think we can save a little bit of that news for later. So everything else going all right? What else is uh, what else is kicking with you before we get stuck into some news this week? Uh, I'm getting ready to do like my first real, I guess my first real trip this year for my post-pandemic stuff. I'm going to Ooh. three cities, all like I guess all personal stuff. I'm going to um, South Florida to my son's in a big swim meet, so I leave tomorrow for three or four days where. He's doing that. I'm officiating. I'm actually getting evaluated for my national certification. Oh, there you go. Then go on vacation for a week and then tacking on to the end of vacation, going to go spend time, couple of like three or four days with my parents as well, and then come home. So it'll be like three cities. Unfortunately, the car, like family's getting split up into two cars. We're all going to the gotcha. same places. I'm, we're all going to meet the same big vacation in the middle, but it's like, it's just, it's awkward. We're going to share. Coming from the same city in two cars, so yeah. So I'm just frantically trying to make sure I don't forget something now because I haven't traveled in so long. I I kind of forget what stuff I usually take with me. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Back on the road. Uh, Not too much actually. This week's been pretty quiet. I've been uh, heads down on a bit of code for some uh, some work I'm doing, and um, 
Yeah, other than that, not too not too much really. It's all pretty quiet on the home front. Just dealing with uh, you know, nice weather here and summer holidays. So helping out with kids with some projects and hanging out with them a little bit and yeah. Doing a little bit of flight sim in the background, mm. you know, some evenings and things like that. So yeah. Awesome. Not too much. Very yeah. cool. Hey, this week though, we are going to dive into some news. We've got a little roundup from around the cloud world and in particular on SharePoint and Windows. So how about we take a quick break and we'll be right back for some of that. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. Back to the show. Okay, I see. As the title of the show alludes to a new dawn for SharePoint and Windows, would you do us the honors of leading us off with the SharePoint news that came out recently. Absolutely. So this is a a big deal. This is a big deal. For a while now, Microsoft has been really moved SharePoint to a cloud-based product. And so it's been SharePoint Online inside of Microsoft 365. And since then, they have announced or they have released two on-prem versions of SharePoint servers, so 2016 and 2019. And there's been like some questions about where are they going with this? Where, what are we going to see for the on-prem world? Is there, going to, is there a future for it? And sure enough, just yesterday, as we're recording this on July the 20th, Bill Bear for Microsoft posted a, a new day for SharePoint Server. They are releasing a new version that is dubbed SharePoint Server Subscription Edition. Um, this is a preview version that's available now. So it's SharePoint Server SE. And the idea is it's got a there's a bunch of things that are associated with this that are different from the prior on-prem versions of SharePoint server. So they said they designed it around three core principles, always up to date, secure and reliable, and designed for you. So on the always up to date, they're going to be doing continuous updates to SharePoint server. You're going to end up, they say you're going to end the cycle of long and costly major version upgrades and get new features uh, to get new features and remain in support. They're going to deliver the latest innovations to customers through updates that can be installed on your SharePoint server subscription edition farms. It sounds like they're getting a rid, they're getting rid of just version numbers or at least like a, a product version and just going to say, look, you're going to subscribe to SharePoint server. And as long as you're subscribed and your license is good, you'll still keep getting updates and they'll just keep constantly patching it. So it won't be like some big bang version that they're going to, that they're going to update. So it does sound like it's more like what we have in, in Microsoft 365 with SharePoint Online. Yeah. There are some interesting things associated with it. We'll, we'll link to the announcement in the, in the show notes. It adds support for things like the OpenID Connect protocol, authentication protocol for like mo- modern authentication. They also touting their enhanced people picker for modern authentication. So 
it'll be curious to see like what you know what are some of the big big takeaways from this that people have to say that are still using SharePoint Server on prem. One question I had, of course, for the developers out there, was well, if it's always up to date and it's always up, it's it's always running the latest and greatest. What's the extensibility story for this, and specifically, what's the extensibility story around the SharePoint framework? Because that's supposed to be the way that they recommend up building extensions or extending the SharePoint interface. In 2019 or 2016, they added the SharePoint framework to SharePoint Server, and then they did that again as part of the out of the box update or out of the box release with SharePoint Server 2019. Mm. Now, unfortunately, when the release came with SharePoint 2019, it was SharePoint Framework version 1.4, which is pretty old. And it's pretty, Mm. I don't want to say it's limited, but it's pretty old in terms of the things that we have today in SharePoint Framework 1.12. Well, I got it confirmed earlier today or late yesterday that the SharePoint Server subscription edition is using the same version of the SharePoint framework as SharePoint Server 2019 is using. So there is no like, I, when they say it's always it's always up to date, I thought I was kind of hoping like, oh, cool, then these people that are on-prem can use the latest and greatest of the SharePoint framework. Of course, barring things that are cloud specific, like Microsoft Graph or Azure AD, stuff like that. But it looks like you're still going to be stuck back with 2019. So that's... A little unfortunate. I don't want to be totally negative about this. There's two parts to this, right? One, there's the good side and one's the bad side. So we'll start with the good side. It's great to see them continue support for those customers who want to stay on-prem, that there'll be updates, new features, things like that, albeit probably pretty minor, if you ask me. Dribs and drabs, perhaps, but it'll keep things fed. Here's the flip side of this. What is the difference between this and 2019? To me, all it looks like is a different way of buying it. Mm-hmm. So instead of buying SharePoint 2019, SharePoint Server 2019, and then expecting a SharePoint Server 2022 or whatever, this is Microsoft saying, hey, you Luddite on-prem Muppets, we want to, if you want us to support you, you need to pay us regularly. And we're going to throw in a couple of feature things like TLS 1.3 with Windows Server 2022 support. OpenID Connect stuff. This whole continuous update thing is absolute marketing BS, if you ask me. Like, what's the difference between what we had and what this says? Okay, so this says, with SharePoint Service Subscription Edition, you'll end the cycle of long and costly major version upgrades. Okay, cool. Totally get that. So it's just going to be patches forever. Yep, good for Microsoft, good for customers. Yeah. Microsoft will deliver our latest innovations to customers through updates that can be installed on your SharePoint Service Subscription Edition farms. What's the difference between that and what we had with feature packs and service packs and patches? That's my question. Previously. That's my question. It's not exactly, it's not what I would call continuous updates, Mm -hmm. right? That is just how it's always worked with previous major versions. But what they are saying is you don't have to go to a new major version, we'll just keep patching it forever, which I guess, like, I can see total benefits of that. What I don't understand is like the, it's really just the next version of SharePoint Server with a different licensing model. That, that's it, right? It's not, I think it's great for Microsoft. And it might actually be great for customers too. The, they'll continue to support you and you'll get regular patches and updates and things like that. But I really just don't see much of a difference from the previous things other than the licensing model for Microsoft. I don't disagree with you on that. The thing that I don't, really, that it doesn't seem like it's really all that different to me 
or I guess the thing that I find to be a little, how do you, how do I say that? I guess I have this feeling of, I don't buy it. When they say we're going to be doing continuous updates and this is kind of like the the last major version you got to deal with, it's what it seems like when they say subscription edition that I'm constantly getting new updates, new updates, everything. I don't buy it because it just seems to me like there's going to be something down the road where there's going to be a big update that you're going to need to run. And it's going to be a, no, you're going to need to, this is going to be a big, this part will be a much bigger update. We're just not going to change the name of anything. Mm. I don't see this as like going, hey, from now on, you're just going to have to do patches and just keep updating things. I mean, I don't, I've never, we haven't seen anything like that with any software that's like that. That's something that you're going to install. I mean, even your phones or your iPads or your tablets or your laptops, we still have major updates that we end up having to install. So yeah. I just don't see... This just seems, seems like a great way to make a subscription for security patches. That's all. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, it's not... I, I haven't thought about it like that, but that's... You may be onto something. Because from Microsoft's perspective, they don't want to support on-prem SharePoint anymore, really. Mm-hmm. Like if, they had, if it was their choice, they wouldn't be doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Customers are demanding it, of course, so they need to do that. But from their point of view, that you know, it's costly and all of that to, to maintain, you know, devs and the build pipelines and the release pipelines and all and testing and all that sort of stuff. And so this is a great way for them to say, hey, if you're going to stay on-prem, you're going to pay for it. Agreed. But yeah, I guess if you are on-prem, this would be a pretty nice thing to see if you are not planning on moving for whatever reason. Yeah. So what do you have for us in the new dawn theme that we have with our show this week? Sure. So one of the big, and well, I say one of the big announcements from Ignite. Inspire. This is the only announcement from Ignite that I can remember. Oh, sorry, Inspire. Yes, you're right. Is that now you will be able to buy a thing called Windows 365 your cloud PC, which essentially is access to a Windows environment and Office 365, if I'm not mistaken, streamed from the cloud. So the first step of this in the demo is that you can log into a thing, log into a website and get into your desktop through a browser and, and do all that sort of stuff. I imagine the next step for this, though, are some like devices or something that just do this re- remotely that you don't have to log in through a browser or whatever to to get there. It makes me wonder, like, am I missing something that you picked up on here? Because I've got Windows, and then I need to open a browser on Windows to get to Windows. <laughs> Is that right? I didn't pick up on that. Yo, dog, I've got some Windows for your Windows. <laughs> no, so I, that's what, you know, I don't know. Un- like, maybe it's because you can get to it from other devices that aren't Windows devices. Maybe you can get access to it from a, iPad or something. Hmm. Perhaps that's why they're doing it. But yeah, it's essentially your PC in the cloud, but you have to get to it somehow. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that will come in a variety of flavors, right? The first one that we've seen is through a browser, but they also talk about streaming to any device, right? And I think that's just through a browser at the moment. But I imagine they're going to not require a browser in the future. Maybe they'll build an app or something that's just full screen and doesn't have any browser quirks to it. Hmm. I don't know. It's very similar to the other one to me where it's still Windows 365 just seems like yet another subscription to be able to con- get continuously get updates to Windows. But this is a major version. This also could be a slight cap- capitulation from Microsoft that this whole, what do you call it, the spinning wheel that mice run on. Oh, I've just lost the term. I have too. Anyway. The mouse wheel? No, that's not right. It's not a treadmill. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyway, that thing that spins around when the mice run on it, 
that they're getting off that with Windows and corporate environments having to upgrade PCs and upgrade Windows across all of their devices. This way, Microsoft will be able to maybe ship a cut-down version of Windows or some lightweight device client, much like the Sun, you know, the old Sun, was it Oracle? No, it was like the Java NetStation or whatever it was called. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. It's just like a thin client, we're back to thin client computing, Mm -hmm. where basically nothing runs locally and you're essentially remoted into everything. Mm. Maybe they're trying to go in that direction to make it easier for companies to stay up to date on the latest stuff, because... Like, let's be honest, not a lot has changed in the last 15 years around uh, deploying hundreds or thousands of PCs and upgrades to your OS and operating systems and apps on those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, step in that direction, perhaps. But anyway, yeah, I don't quite get it at the moment with having to do it through a browser, but Maybe that story will change in the future. They talk about that being like your it's your personal cloud PC, stream all their applications, tools, data, and settings from the cloud uh, from the cloud across any device. It provides a full PC experience in the cloud. Well, it's not a it can't be a full PC experience because I mean printers and plugging in a USB stick to something. That's true. The three benefits are stream personalized cloud PCs to any device. Okay, that I can understand, but through a browser perhaps. Empower hybrid work with powerful, versatile options. That says nothing. Simplify IT, staying secure and up-to-date. That one I totally understand, because there are companies that can't pull their finger out of their bottoms and keep their PCs up-to-date or current with, with current technology, right? They start a new desktop rollout project, and it takes them three years, right? So anything we can do do for that well, to help them would be uh, beneficial, I guess. It's going to be interesting to see how this, how how uh, customers embrace this. There's just something about, like for me, there's just something about having a laptop or a PC or desktop, whatever, that can work without the internet, that can work without Wi-Fi, can work without being a connected thing. And even if there's an option to go use the cloud bit, I just feel like there's, it, I'm curious, I'm not saying that this isn't going to work. But I'm I'm really curious what the experience is going to be like because if I spend more time like setting stuff up on, on my laptop and I want to make sure that, that works when I'm in an offline experience, then I want to make sure that that it all that this experience is always that I'm not going to go use the cloud experience because it doesn't feel like it's going to be synced up with what I'm used to using on my laptop. So it's like well, what, I'm curious what the usage is for this. So they can say, oh, you can use this if you're in. Like if you're in like a Starbucks or a coffee shop or when you go home or you're in the office, you connect to it, you get the same kind of experience. It's just, it, it's, I'm having a hard time understanding the use case of why I would want to do something like this. I get every once in a while saying, oh, I'd like to have a, like a virtual machine that I can get to to do certain things. But that just doesn't seem like something that I would be using except for very infrequently. Mm. Just curious what the use cases are, I guess. Yeah, like how are you doing things like Multimon? webcams, other types of devices, USB stuff you plug in locally, printers, floppy disk drives, all the common stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, floppy drive. But I'm, yeah, I'd be curious to see. What, I'm just curious to see how this kind of, how this goes. Yeah, me too. I think we will, we'll wait and see. I think it's launching August 2nd. Mm-hmm. So uh, the week after this comes out, you'll be able to go take a look at the preview and have a look at it. Maybe they'll do like an RDP. You'll just be able to RDP into it and that's how they'll get over Multi-mon and desktops and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And multi RDP, you can plug in USB devices through as well yeah. to connect things. So maybe there are options there. Just curious to see what, how this is going to work. Not being negative about it, just curious to see how it's going to work and what the experience is like. And I guess I kind of need to, 
instead of them talking about it, I want to see it in action to kind of see what the feel, what this feels going to end up being. So, sure. Yeah. I have another bit of uh, Microsoft cloudy news where this past week, Microsoft announced that they acquired a cybersecurity startup called Risk IQ and they paid a half a billion dollars for it, $500 million. Although the details were not, they said that the details of the operation were not disclosed, yet we paid $500 million for it. So the cool thing about this, or the thing that, that this company is known for, is a platform that they have called Illuminate. And the big feature of it is it creates a, a map of your entire like IT infrastructure, but it takes like multiple elements going from your website content, mapping it all the way back to specific IP addresses, and a complete visualization of your organization's attack surface, like the same way that things, the same way that hackers look at your organization. So yeah, gotcha. The idea is that this thing works for on Microsoft Azure or it works for your, your Microsoft Azure resources, but it also works with other resources, other clouds as well. For example, like AWS, Hmm. a lot of people end up using it. Some of the well-known companies like Facebook, American Express, the American Postal Service, BMW. This is a big acquisition from, uh, Big acquisition from Microsoft, and I'll be curious to see how this gets integrated in the rest of um, integrating the rest of the stack that they have to offer. Yeah, interesting acquisition given everything that's been going on with uh, with security breaches and SolarWinds attack and all that sort of stuff. Very cool. Yep. I have one here around apps that you've built for Microsoft 365. So there is a new Microsoft 365 certification that helps raise the bar for your app security. Apparently. So you can now and go and get the application you've built to work against Microsoft 365 and put it through some certification. And a third party will go and validate and assess your application in a number of fronts, across a number of fronts, I should say, across application security, operational security, data handling, security and privacy, and optional external compliance audit review. So what that means essentially is under application security, making sure around your, you know, things like the permissions and validation that you require from Microsoft 365 is not overly permissive, things like that, external connectivity checks. Then you move on to like, you know, data handling and privacy, making sure you're doing things in the right way over like TLS, for example, and adhering to things you require for GDPR. And then the optional compliance stuff is, you know, if you claim to have, say, SOC 2, that you're actually, you know, that's valid. Right, and Microsoft will assess your your um, assessment of that, or your certification of that. And overall, if you go through this, you will get Microsoft three six five certification for your application. Mm. My guess here is like they're going to start badging these in the store, for example, things like that, so that customers can have a bit more assurance of the apps that they're giving permissions to their data for, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So you can, if you're, I think this is more for like ISVs, you know, if you've built an app, you can put it through the certification process. That's cool. Yeah. I saw this link that you posted here in our news, things we wanted to run through. And apparently Microsoft has refreshed all of their emojis, all 1800 of them. For Windows. For Windows. And it's interesting because you see, it's nice because... Like I remember a lot of the emojis that like that I'm used to seeing as a Mac user, I'm used to seeing them like the GitHub emojis and stuff like that. I'm seeing them rendered in a certain way. And then I see a screenshot from somebody on Windows. I'm like, mm, that looks flat or that looks kind of boring. Yeah. So Microsoft had at it. Their emojis are, I don't know, to me, they look a little bit more cartoony. And 
they also, all of the faces, like all of the emojis that are like the yellow faces, they all look like cookies to me. Like they look like cookies with like fondant, the um, fondant kind of like icing yeah. cutouts on them. Multi-layered. Yeah. Almost like stop-go animation type clay, yep. clay animation type stuff. Yeah. Claymation. That's it. Yeah. Claymation. There you go. That, that's a good way to say it. That's exactly what they look like. They, I was going to say they look like cookies, but there's a big part of this blog post where it's got a bunch of the pictures, the circle heads, and it looks like claymation or it looks like... Oh, they look like cookies to me. But the most important change Uh-oh. is Clippy's coming back. Yes. So the paperclip emoji will now be Clippy. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? I've been waiting a long time for that. You're going to switch to Windows just for that. I know. I know I can see it. <laughs> Crickets. Apparently, the set will come to Teams and Windows this holiday season with Yammer and Outlook and more lighting up through 2022. wonder if you can find them in Yammer, though. Hey, now, while we're on the topic of emojis, there is a petition to the, I don't know, the board or the group that manages which Unicode characters, you know, because emojis are basically Unicode stuff. So which Unicode emojis get accepted into the standard set? And there is a petition for adding a kiwi, not the fruit, the bird, oh. to the emoji set because apparently lots of other countries have their own emojis. Apparently there's like kangaroo emojis and stuff for Australia. And so New Zealand has to try and keep up. So anyway, if you feel so inclined, go help vote to get a kiwi into the emoji set. <laughs> the bird, not the fuzzy fruit. It'll make me feel better. I yeah, can... The bird, not the fuzzy fruit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. So those are emojis. Mm-hmm. Okay, finishing up before we move on to our picks. You know how you thought your print spooler was safe after you installed that latest set of patches? Totally. Yeah, nah, not really. What? Microsoft is telling customers to disable the Windows print spooler to prevent attacks. So your child will no longer be able to print out drawing sheets from your printer and waste your valuable ink supplies that we've all probably suffered through the pandemic in. But you will be safe from print spooler attacks with apparently two new... Vulnerabilities found, which mm. is a little bit of a concern. Yeah, old bits of Windows being exploited. Well, I guess that's one reason why you'd want to have your PC in the cloud, like we talked about earlier, because there's no print spooler. Or is there? I don't know. Is it mailed to me? Maybe with RDP there is. RDP, I think, supports print. Maybe it's PaaS, printing as a service, and it would just mail it to me through the US mail. <laughs> It's like FAS, fax as a service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, don't even get me started about that. Or FOAS. But yeah, there are um, these privilege, these escalation of uh, privileges operations are of concern, right? Because these, these drivers run in a more privileged state and these vulnerabilities take advantage of that. So we've got a link to the story up on Ars, Ars Technica, but be wary of the print spooler bugs and vulnerabilities. Very cool. Now, picks. Should we dive in? Let's dive. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, let's bookend this episode. How are you going to do that for us? I'm going to do it. All right. So we started off this episode talking about billionaires in space. Well, I've got another billion story for you. Recently, I had a pick that was talking about the Hubble telescope and how it was unavailable really starting back about the middle of June. And it was not available for science operations because they couldn't figure out what the problem was and how all the debugging they were having to do to try and figure it out. Well, thankfully, 
in the last couple days, about a week ago, by the time this episode comes out. They have figured out what the problem is, and they have been able to, it took a couple days for them to switch, but they were able to switch over to the backup system and be able to restart science operations, or they're planning to restart science operations. Let's see, how do we do this? This weekend, which is the weekend coming up, as you and I record right now, but as everyone hears this, the previous weekend. So, what happened was that they identified that the power control unit, they figured out that that was the problem. That thing is in charge of supplying a steady voltage mm. to steady supply, voltage supply to the payload computer. And the voltage was outside the normal range or the sensor that detects the voltage was giving it a bad reading. Mm. There is a spare power control unit on the Hubble. And so what they did is they kind of failed, they failed over to that one, I made the switch over to that one. That's the first time that they were able to get past the problem that they were seeing on the Hubble. So Hubble's got like two different sides of like a computers and they were seeing the problem on side B and they've been able to move over to what's called normal mode on side A and everything seems to be working. And if things continue to be going just fine, then they will restart science operations on side A. They're on their reserve parachute at this point, right? Yes. There's no switching back to side B. Right. That's, there's, it doesn't say, the, the article like both from NASA and from the, the article that I'm going to link to in the, the show notes, there's no real detail here on like, well, does that mean that side B is like just dead? They can't go back to it? Or is it they can start messing with side B and try and figure out or maybe fix something on side B remotely, or is it that this sensor has really gone bad? And I mean, there's no swapping out a sensor on this thing. So it's like, well, sorry, you just can't go, you just can't go back. No detail on that, but at least they're able to restart. I heard this, the PCU, mm. which is the power control unit, I think it stands for. Yep. The one that went bad was was one that was replaced on the last uh, Hubble servicing mission mm. with shuttle back in 2011. Was it 11? 10? Something like that. At least 10 years ago. Yeah. So now it seems like, I don't know, in skydiving, you have a backup chute, right? You have your primary and you have a backup. You have your, your reserve parachute. And when you're on your reserve parachute, you do nothing risky. You just you land. <laughs> essentially fly straight until you land. <laughs> yeah, like You can turn, but, you know, risky business. There's no backup at that point. And it feels like they're on their reserve parachute at the moment, right? It's like, don't be making any wrong moves or you're going to be a puddle. On the ground. Yeah. I guess we'll see if they manage to rectify what's up with the PCU. Maybe they can do something where they, you know, remove, you know, do further investigation to see if it is an, an additional sensor that's at fault and they could cut it, you know, cut it out from being looked at or something like that. We'll see. Because mm. at that point, what have they got to lose? It's not like the, you know, they could lose the whole, the whole thing, the whole telescope, but, you know, that's worst case scenario and that would happen anyway. So, yeah, totally. Interesting. But glad it's back up and running. It's very cool they were able to get this old piece of hardware, everything up and running again. Okay, so I served my role for bookending our episode. We started with space. I bookended it with my pick with space. What are you going to do for us today? What's your pick? My pick is space. Oh, sweet. Thank God. <laughs> New space or old space? Old space. Oh, see, look at that. What the well, actually, great... it's a bit of both, really. Oh, okay. Well, that's all. Okay. It's old space and new space. How about that? That's Potentially, yeah. We need okay. blue space so, now. <laughs> old space, blue space, new space, new space. <laughs> this is comes from a video and a that was done by Scott Manley, and he had a video called 
Is Apollo 11's lunar module still in orbit around the moon 52 years later? So I don't know if you know, AC, but yes, we probably do. Yesterday when we recorded the show was the 52nd anniversary of Apollo 11. Mm -hmm. And um, turns out there is a person called James Medor, I believe his name is, who has written a science paper, I guess, a paper, that does analysis on the Apollo 11 Eagle Lunar Module Ascent Stage and whether it is still in orbit around the moon. So the theory goes for those listening that all of the other eagles, which were the, you know, the, the limb, the, the thing that actually landed on the moon, that the astronauts got back into and then got back into lunar orbit and then met up with the command module. Once they'd done that, they got in the command module and jettisoned the lunar module in a lot of cases. And some of them were on purpose crashed into the moon. They were sent for a trajectory straight into the moon. Others just had in a orbit around the moon that eventually decayed and put them into the, the surface of the moon. And there are a lot of photos of various crash sites and things like that. Anyway, this person, James, has done this analysis of the Apollo 11 one, so the one that put people on the moon for the first time, and has a pretty good numerical analysis of the orbit that it was put into and can determine or thinks they can determine that it never actually impacted the moon, that its its low point of orbit came within about five or, five or six kilometres or something like that, but it never actually hit the moon. And so the theory goes that it might still be sitting out there 52 years later in orbit around the moon. Mm, that's so cool. How cool is that? Yeah. Scott Manley's video was really cool with this. So if, if you're like, you don't have to read yeah, the report. It all. You don't have to read the report. Yeah. But I thought that I caught this video as well. It's, it's funny. It's, you and I, we see these pics. And of course, like because our interests align so many times, we have the, we're going to end up having the same pick. And this was, I was like, I'm going to hold on to this one for another one. I got to do the Hubble one because that follows up on the one that I did a couple of weeks ago. But watching Scott Manley's video for this, he shows how the guy did it. And he didn't, the guy started with just the research of, let me see if I can find the Apollo 11 crash site. But when he started doing all of his calculations to try and find it, he's like, wait a minute, there's a pretty good chance here that this thing never crashed. And Scott Manley shows how he did it and even shows the app that NASA open sourced that people can use to, to build your own uh, orbits and your own like mission plans. And yeah, it's really cool. You know, watch the whole thing. It's not a very long video. It's less than 10 minutes. But it's really cool to kind of see him do that. It's like, holy crap, it actually might be flying around. So wouldn't it be awesome if we figured out a way to go get it and bring it back to Earth safely? Elon. Right? Elon. If there's anybody crazy enough to try and do this, that would be a pretty, he'd be the one. I mean, look, they've already got the contract to go back to the moon, right? They're going, Elon's, SpaceX has got the contract to go to build, to have the super heavy ship actually start working on a moon base or a yeah, moon base, a lunar yeah. base, I guess, on the moon, same thing. And if you're going to be there, you're going to come back. These things also have huge payload base. Mm. You can scoop this thing up. Yeah. I mean, it's, only, it, it's not the whole thing either. It's not all the legs and the dangly bits. It's the top part. The ascension stage. The, the, yeah, it ascended from the from the surface of the moon. So it's not like the whole big rocket engine that was used for landing and all of the tanks and all that sort of stuff. It's the top piece. It's still a fairly sizable piece of kit, but I would just, like, that would be so cool. Oh, I totally would. Getting that thing back. I totally would. Amazing. Yeah. 
It's not going to have a not going to have a Tesla Roadster in it. You know, that's on its way to Mars or that's orbiting Mars. But still, man, this would be cool to okay, see. What about this as a backup plan? You know how they've got these things that go up and attach themselves to satellites to boost their orbit again, give yeah. them more life. Yeah, they could go do that with the ascent stage and bring it back into Earth orbit, and then when we go up in these space tourist flights, you can go and visit I like it. in Earth orbit. I like it. I like that idea. It's like, if, hey, if we can't get it back through the atmosphere, it's too big or what have you, then go visit it in orbit. That'd be pretty sweet. It would be pretty sweet. It's a feel-good story. It's a cool feel-good story. Hey, now, I don't, I don't know if you know, but Scott Manley <laughs> is a software developer. He works for Apple in California. I uh, he's that. a software engineer. So on the off chance that he listens to our podcast, Scott, we would love to have you on to talk about awesome NASA space and rockety things on the show. Yep. Yep. I'm a big fan. I'm I big... just also love the way he finishes his episodes. Yes. We'd love to do it. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation. Scott Manley, everyday astronaut, and oh God, what was the other guy's name? The How It Works guy? Is that what it is? Yeah. Smarter Every Day. Smarter Dustin. Every Day. That's Dustin. it. Dustin. Dustin. Yeah, that's it. I'd love to sit down and have them just, let's just have a conversation. And then yeah. just for help, just for shits and giggles. Oops, sorry. Let's, um, if we can get Elon or Tony Bruno to sit in on a, sit in, uh, on it with oh, us, yeah. that would be fun. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. I love just to geek out about this stuff. Oh, Great same. YouTubers, by the way. Scott Manley, uh, Smarter Every Day is another fantastic YouTube channel I love. Mm-hmm. And Everyday Astronaut, yeah. They do a great job. Cool. All right, well, that's it for this week, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back again next week. Uh, I think I'm flying solo next week, right, AC? You are flying solo while I am vacationing offline for a little while. Sunning your white hide somewhere in Florida, no doubt. Uh, Florida and then a lake in Georgia. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, there you go. So I will be flying solo, solo-ish. We have special guests on the show next week. Yes. So um, tune in for that. Absolutely. Cool deal, man. All right. Enjoy your vacation. We'll see you when you get back. All right, man. Take care. Bye, everybody. See ya. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.